Sorry, I'm going to put this back here. Today's readings are Romans 8, 14 to 17, and Psalms 104, 23 to 34, 35b. They can be found on page 1043 and 557 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought, you, brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom, you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things, both large and small. There the ships go to and fro, and the Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there. All the creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to dust. When you send your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him. As I rejoice in the Lord, praise the Lord, my soul. Praise the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you to pray with me. Our loving God of grace, we come to you as we listen to these words and what they mean for our lives. And we're coming into this space not assuming that we know what's going on in the lives of these people around us because we are on all different kinds of journeys and we might come depressed this morning. We might come joyful. We might come... Um, sure of who you are, we might come with a, a hundred questions and no certainty. We might come uh, in grief and sadness because of the circumstances of our life. Or we might come uh, thankful because it feels like you have answered prayers recently. From all these places, the truth is we're more of a mess than we care to admit. Every single one of us is in need of your grace, even though we don't want to usually admit that. And the words of your scripture keep reminding us that, that you do bring your grace into lives that are undeserving. So that even though we're more than a mess than we care to admit, at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever imagined. And we ask that you use this grace of yours and the power of your Holy Spirit um, to, to teach us more about 
you and your grace and how to live in your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, the question of the week last week was, what can bring you confidence? What can bring you confidence? Um, people answered, uh, one person said, practicing until I know I've got it. Um, another answer was, to do something that I'm not naturally good at or comfortable with. Um, and then that brings you confidence? That's, okay, that surprises me. Do something I'm not naturally good at or comfortable with. And then the, in parentheses it says, like yesterday I, I read some memorized scripture at a wedding in front of a crowd. That sounds terrifying. <laughs> so you did it. So yeah, you do it and then you got confidence. Um, another answer was to do something I know that I've been good at in the past. So the complete opposite way of getting confidence. Like that. Um, there's, every single one of you, as you sit here this morning, you have factors in your life. You have things going on that in a sense are, are waging war against your confidence. You have situations, you have circumstances, you have things that are making an argument, making a case against, and let me be specific spiritually here, against, um, you might summarize it as God loving me, or me being good with God, or being right with God, or feeling acceptable, or feeling close to God. Um, Maybe, there's, maybe it manifests itself in a sense of unworthiness or uncleanness um, or just great doubt. All of us have things, have forces in our lives um, that, that work against. They're constantly making a case against you know, your confidence and knowing that you're okay, you're good, you're good with God. And those things, I, could, I mean, how do you even begin to go into all those kinds of things? Because there's thousands of those kinds of things that make those cases for you, and it's different for each of us. But you come this morning, and things in your life are making a case against your confidence. They're arguing against it. In fact, I'm amazed um, the more I get to be a pastor and get to talk with people about spiritual things in their life, just how universal it is to feel uh, most of the time not confident Specifically, that I am good with God, that, I am, that God is close to me, that God loves me. It seems like more often than not, those things that are making a case for you are winning out. It's winning out. It's succeeding. Um, and so, and you have some people, well, you know, one of you might be sitting here and, you, and you've never felt really close to God or or connected to God, and you look around, and you say, these people, you know, some of them are singing, and I, you know, I could never do that, because I just don't, you know, it just hasn't landed for me, and, it, and it's because of these constant things making a case for you, and someone else may have really put their life into this thing called the Christian faith, believe in it, said, I'm, I'm committed to this, and yet, every day, new things are trying to create cracks in the foundation of your confidence in it. This is a dynamic all of us have. And some of you might say, oh, you know, Mark, not me. I don't have, you know, I don't worry too much about it. I'm, uh, you know, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not wrapped up in that mentally or emotionally. And I, in a way, I would say, well, you might represent one other kind of category that we all kind of find ourselves in at times, which is false confidence. 
The, the sort of that you're, you know, you're drawing a confidence from somewhere, but it's somewhat hollow or it's, it's kind of a, yeah, it's, it's something that's, that's not really in the end going to prove to be legitimate and sure and certain. If you probe around, you scratch around, you dig in, you're going on sort of a false confidence right now. At least biblically speaking, that would be a very clear thing that's, that comes up in the Christian faith. It's very possible to plant your life on a foundation that actually is going to wash away. So now we've covered everyone. Everyone's listening. Everyone's um, involved. And now today, uh, today briefly, we're going to look at how the Holy Spirit works in our lives to bring confidence. Today is Pentecost Sunday on the Christian calendar of following the uh, the year in terms of the life of Jesus. We find ourselves today on Pentecost. Pentecost is an old Jewish celebration that when it happened after Jesus had ascended, it kind of got reinvented because it was the time during this festival when um, what Jesus had promised that he would send another was one way he put it. Um, and then on, in, on Pentecost, this incredible event um, that I could you know, preach another sermon on that, but it's found in Acts chapter 2. That happens where the Holy Spirit comes and there's fire and there's languages spoken that other people can understand from all over the world. And now the Holy Spirit has come to do this powerful work on behalf of Jesus in the world. That Holy Spirit, that person of the Holy Spirit, is still at work. And Romans chapter um, 8 that we're looking at today, we read two passages, one of them we're looking at, Romans 8, talks about what one thing that the Holy Spirit does. There's hundreds of things the Holy Spirit does. One of the things the Holy Spirit does is constantly building up your foundation of confidence, in what we call the gospel, in the truths of God's love, in the truth of what God has done on your behalf. And the, this is the basic claim that this passage says, is that not only, not only are you good with God, the Holy Spirit wants you to know, not only are you good with God, but the language of that is that you have been made the children of God. You are a child of God. And so we're going to unpack that briefly with a couple of words. But let me just, uh, bless, bless you, let me just start us off with a, uh, with a quote. I think, did I have it? Maybe I don't. Here, it's in here. Can I borrow that? Let me start you off with the quote in here. I think it's in here from John Calvin to get us going. Nope, it's not in there. Never mind. There's a great quote about this. I'd love to share it with you sometime. <laughs> love to share that quote with you sometime. But I won't. Let's just jump right in. So in Romans chapter 8, verse 16, we get the summary. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are, someone say it, children of God. And, and we're going to be really brief today to make more room for um, the talk afterwards. So we're going to look at two words that are in this passage that convince us. The Holy Spirit is using, uh, is constantly using this concept of children of God to give us confidence in who we are and that we're good with God, that we're close with God. And the two words are first, uh, sonship, and secondly, Abba. Two very, very special words when it comes to knowing what's true about us in Christ. Sonship and Abba. So first of all, in verse 15, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. It's a technical word. It's a Greek word. And um, what Paul is doing as he writes this is that he's using this word for adoption, 
that was used in the culture of the day. And he's co-opting this word to express what is true about us in terms of the gospel, in terms of what Jesus has done. Sonship, at first you say, oh, sonship, why not sons and daughtership? You know, why does it have to be so male-centered? But culturally speaking, it's just a technical word related to legal status and the legal adoption that, that could happen in the days when this was written. So uh, if you were going to, um, if you didn't have any, any children and you had an estate of some sort, you could legally adopt someone, maybe one of the servants or slaves of the household um, who was on, on good standing, and you could do a legal ceremony that was publicly recognized and legally binding in terms of your inheritance, in terms of all that was in your household, so that you now had a male legal heir um, to carry on your family line, but also especially to deal with property issues and also to be in, uh, in charge of taking care of you as time went on. Okay, so it's a technical term. It's a legal term. And in Romans chapter 8, it becomes now a gospel term. It becomes a term to, to give us one fresh, amazing window on what has actually happened because of Jesus. Um, it was a transfer of status to a male legal heir from someone who is outside the family. Now, that's a picture of what God does with us and how we become children. We're not, we don't become children in the normal way. We don't become God's children because we in some way were born into it or we were some way um, deserving of it. But this is the confidence-building foundation of the Christian that um, God, completely uncoerced and unprovoked, he didn't have to do it. He officially and legally transforms your status so that you become an absolute insider in his realm. Sounds like, according to that, like you're pretty good with God, and God's pretty good with you. Do you believe it? The Holy Spirit wants to build that up. The Apostle Paul, as he writes this, wants to emphasize the Spirit's work in shoring up the truth of that, despite all the voices speaking out against it in your life. The Christian is someone with a, this permanent, undeserved status upgrade. Your status has been upgraded, and it's an unnatural thing. You're accepted into a realm of privilege where you don't belong, where there should be a dividing wall from you, to keep you out. <laughs> You don't belong here. When I was in seminary, I had to take different odd, odd jobs, and one of them uh, that I found was working for this woman who was um, a businesswoman, and she lived in this uh, mansion in this city in Michigan where I was going to school. Um, it was this huge house with this huge yard and all this landscaping, and, and you know, I got to hold a shovel and a rake and pull weeds and trim the rose bushes and, and do all these things for this woman. And um, so, you know, I'm doing all this work. And one time I was working right along the side of this house and it had, a, had this room inside that was mostly glass so you could see in. It was like a sunroom kind of thing. And there were her, uh, a couple of her kids um, who, were, who were like, I don't know, 16, 17, 18. Um, and I'm out here working on their yard right? You can sense some of my take on the situation. And, and they're inside playing video games and, and watching TV. And I had that little moment, especially growing up around a lot of agriculture and a lot of farmers, the kind of thing like, 
you know, where I grew up, people, you know, their kids got out there and they, you know, they grabbed a shovel, you know, and they did the work, you know. And, but so I was on the other side of this glass wall, this partition, this barrier from these children, let's call them, uh, chil- let's dramatize it, they're children of privilege. And I'm outside, you know, I'm the slave, I'm the servant. <laughs> and I'm outside working. I was getting paid, but, you know, I'm out there working. And not once did I cross over and, and have the video games in my hands, and never did they come outside and strike up conversation and say, let me grab the rake in my hands. It never crossed. And, and the Christian faith, what the Holy Spirit's trying to convince us of constantly is that, um, that really, if you feel like there's some kind of barrier like that between you and God, there's a legitimacy to feeling that there should be a barrier, but the Holy Spirit wants to convince you through, over and over again, wants to thoroughly convince you that the barrier has been completely brought down and there's no barrier between, you know, there's no children who are in and children who are not allowed to be in. It's been brought down. Not of your own doing, not because you deserve it, but just because God decided to bring you into the realm of privilege. And the Holy Spirit's working constantly to try to convince you of that. Sonship. So that's what that term comes up a couple of times in the New Testament. It's a technical Greek word, and it's part of this just amazing legal uh, kind of status that we get as children of God. But there's a second word the Holy Spirit is trying to convince us of, and that's Abba, another word. Now, this is not a Greek word. Abba is an Aramaic word. So the language of Jesus and his family um, was Aramaic, and Abba comes from that language. And is, is like a word like daddy. Daddy, Abba. In fact, it, it just, you know how words and languages, they don't translate. So it, it's even, it, it's probably even more warm and has all these incredible emotional positive uh, associations than even our term daddy. It's, it's just this, this thing a child says out of complete love and trust and affection knowing that everything is good, Abba. And so in verse 13, we read this, and by him, by the Holy Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. This brings up more of the tender closeness and I would say that accessibility that you have with God. And the Holy Spirit's trying to convince you of that. Um, We have, uh, let's put it this way, we have an unobstructed path between us and our Father, God. That's what the Holy Spirit's trying to convince us of. A good parent, uh, a good parent's door is always open for their kids to stop by. Don't you think? Do you think that's a... (laughs) (laughs) This is why I try to make this a monologue and not a a dialogue, because... Um, a good parent, a good parent should have, you know, the door's always open. Like what, you know, why would I, why would I ever not want my kids to stop by? Well, I mean, hey, and if in, in the family you come from, if that's not true, you know, then maybe, you know, it's quite possible that you did not have the greatest parent. Um, You should also consider the possibility that that you're not the greatest child. That, that, you know, that there are reasons why um, there's a po- call-first policy, right? Um, 
No, but I mean, that, you know, there's this sense of like, you know, if you just imagine the perfect family, the perfect home, the parents, you know, I mean, they'll drop everything for their, their kids stopping. Their, you know, their kid has moved on. out. Hey, the door's always open. Stop by. We love it. We adore you. We're going to shower on the love and praise and ask all kinds of questions about your life. We're ready for you. The door is always open. A good parent can handle all your emotional states, all the circumstances of your life, the garbage and the good stuff that all comes in. A good parent's ready for that. Do you know that's true about Abba? Daddy, God, the Father. Do you know that that's true? It is. God can handle every, every, every way that you, that you can imagine bringing your, your emotions to God or your, you know, your thoughts or your feelings or your experiences. It makes me think one of the, you know, one of the worst things we could do, and, and unfortunately we do this, we have, a lot of us have phases in our life where this has been true. The, the worst thing you could do is stop you know, coming to God with verbalizing what's going on in your life. Stop praying, you know, have a, a big dead span of time in terms of communicating with God the Father. Because, and I would hope you know, if you're in one of those times or if you're considering moving into one of those times, how God can handle anything that you're bringing. Utilize that. Bring it all. Have you ever read the Psalms? The Psalms is the Christian's prayer instruction book, basically, and it's everything. Every way of verbalizing with God is in there because God can handle it, because God is Abba, Daddy, Father, best possible kind of parent you can imagine. He can handle it if you need to cry, if you need to yell, if you need to you know, take a nap, if you need to sing a song, you need to complain, you need to doubt, God can handle it. And that's, I mean, it's just as simple as this. The Holy Spirit will work in your life to help convince you that that is what your relationship with God is like. And you want practice, then jump into the Psalms and try it. Here's what uh, Martin Luther said about this passage of Scripture. Although I be oppressed with anguish and terror on every side, remember we talked about the arguments and cases being made in our life about um, you're not good with God. He says, although I be oppressed with anguish and terror on every side and seem to be forsaken and utterly cast away from thy presence, yet I am thy child and thou art my father for Christ's sake. I am beloved because of the beloved. Wherefore, this little word, father, father, conceived effectually, effectually in the heart, passeth all the eloquence of Demosthenes, famous rhetorician, Cicero, and all the most eloquent rhetoricians that ever were in the world. One little word, Abba, Daddy, Father. Has the Spirit convinced you of that? Let's pray that it would happen. God, we pray, especially today on Pentecost Sunday, for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit. We may, if we have spent time in churches, we may think of your Holy Spirit in different kind of terms, in glamorous, showy kinds of terms. Would you, Holy Spirit, do the inner work in our hearts, the quiet, unseen inner work convincing us of what you have done on our behalf and that the, the, the wall has fallen down and we are in the inner circle where we call you Daddy, where we have been... Uh, fully, completely, legally, spiritually uh, and brought up to the status, the same exact status, in fact, 
of your perfect Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. As we move, um, actually, Nathan's going to come up, right? You're going to do this part. I was about to take over your part. Thanks. All right, so we're going to move into a time of offering. Um, just for uh, those on the newer end of the spectrum, just know that this isn't a time of pressure. You can just help by passing the baskets along.